0: I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 92. Uh, As you're doing that, I just want to touch base about a couple things really quickly. Um, One, Josh, I want to say thanks. Uh, Josh is uh, finishing up. You got one more semester, is that right? at Brian? Yet to be determined. Okay. So now we know what to pray for, right? You want one more semester? Just one, so we're going we're gonna to pray at the end of the service today. So uh, somebody remind me or remember to pray for uh, Josh, that it would just be compacted into one more semester for finances, for time, for everything else in your life, right? Um, good. But Josh, I, I do want to say thanks. Um, we are in a, uh, a bit of a transition in our worship right now because of Perry's resignation. And Josh came, I, I knew he was coming to camp to be a counselor. And so I reached out to him and asked him uh, to to lead us while he was at Coldstream Christian Camp for the, 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 what, four weeks? Is that what you were here for? And so this is his last Sunday. Um, Josh, I really appreciate uh, some things that you've done for us in worship. Uh, I I looked over at Juliana in the second song, Amazing Love. Is that the right title? And can it be? Okay. I I was bouncing between the two. I couldn't remember. We have been such a contemporary focused church uh, in our worship that we've lost some hymns. And I turned to Julianne and I said, have you ever heard that hymn before? And her answer was, no. She just shook her head and said, no. Um, And I remember Katie and I talked about this coming from a very traditional church um, as far as its worship to this church, which is very contemporary, uh, we felt like over the time our children were losing sight of some of the great hymns of our faith. So, Josh, thank you very much because hymns, even though I think traditional churches can wear them out, um, we've gone to the other extreme and we've jettisoned them from our worship, which is a shame because they are rich in theology. They're rich in truth. And that song especially, um, and can it, is that, am I getting it right now, and can it be? Um, it is so tremendous. Um, and, and so I would encourage you, maybe you don't know some of those hymns that Josh has done over the course of these four weeks, go and check them out. Um, make, make sure that you, you can, if you say, hey, uh, send us an email at admin at the Grove, 431, you can ask us and we'll get you the, the set list that we've done over the last uh, couple, well, just month. And uh, we can help you find those songs because they're certainly worth continuing in worship. So, Josh, thanks a ton for that. Um, he's, Josh is, just so you know, good friends with both of my kids. Um, really appreciate his heart for the Lord and just his consistency. Um, and, and I'm going to brag, you're also very, very smart. Um, we, were, we were at homecoming a couple years, and Josh is one of the only students that has ever figured out the game Cahoots. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, and my kids are still jealous that you know the answer to that. Don't give them the solution, okay? Even though Christian's older, a little bit older than you, and he'll probably try to manipulate you, don't let him do that. Okay, Josh? Okay, thank you. Because we, we want to continue to give him grief for years to come that he's never figured out the game. Um, so we're in Psalm 92 in our our, ser- our series on Sabbath rest, and I love... Like the, the fact that, that Josh uh, led us in that the, those hymns that focused back in on the rest of God. Even that verse in Matthew, I, I don't know if you had kind of put that uh, those two thoughts together, that as Jesus was saying that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, the whole point of that is that we would do what? We would rest in Him. And, and I don't know if you think like me. If you do, I'm sorry because it can be really messy and at times very different. Um, But as as I was thinking about uh, all these thoughts in in through the worship time, and especially that with rest, there was an image that came to my mind this morning during the worship. And, and, And that image was this. When kids, little children especially, they get tired what do they do, especially if you're walking around some kind of park or some kind of, uh, maybe it's a, um, a, a theme park like that. Maybe, maybe it's like the uh, county fair. Maybe it's just a long walk around something else that you're doing. But what is it that your children want to do with you? You remember? And maybe your aunt or uncle or maybe your babysitter, you know. They, say it, Debbie. They want you to hold them, right? Because their little legs, their bodies are tired. And ultimately, you're kind of going as the parent, yes, they're going to rest well. They're going to sleep well tonight, right? But also, the the other side of that is what do you tend to do? I mean, if if you're doing a good parent, being a good parent, what do you? You pick them up. And if your dad typically, you throw them on your shoulder, right? And you you just endure because you know that there's going to come a point. And I'm saying that because I remember standing at a... um, globetrotters event with Christian on my shoulders trying to get signatures. And we stood there and stood there and stood there. And I was tired. He was too big to be doing that for a long period of time, but I was doing it. I was like, there's going to be a minute when we get these things signed and I'm going to get them off my shoulders because he's heavy, okay? But, but we do that as parents, knowing that our children need what? Rest, right? And, and that rest is good for them, that they are actually weak and maybe even unable in and of themselves to endure those things. And so when Jesus comes and says that, and when Jesus talks about the rest that we experience, I believe all of this points back to the, the, to the perfect uh, type that we see in what the Sabbath is. That Sabbath rest is designed for us to see Jesus as He is to understand our need for Him so that we would find our rest in Him. So as we've been working through this series, I just want to give you a couple highlights. Remember, we've talked about the importance... Of Sabbath being that which was established by the Lord, but it was really for, uh, even though it was done at creation in one sense, it really began with the people of Israel under Moses' leadership as a day of worship. We saw that day of worship transform from Saturday, the seventh day, to the first day uh, because of uh, tracing that that uh, technical language about the Lord's Day as it occurs in a couple places, especially in the book of Revelation. We saw it modeled throughout, so that's why we celebrate the Lord's Day as as our model of Sabbath today, which is technically the first week of the Jewish calendar. So that's a good thing because it also points to what? The resurrection of Christ and His work on our behalf. We also um, remember that Sabbath is about the perfect work of Jesus, for our salvation. Because in part of this, you'll remember, one of the things that we looked at uh, about Sabbath, the Sabbath always, even though it was a day of rest, that it always contained some element of work. The priests, in order to, to lead the, the Israelites in appropriate Sabbath, what did they still have to do? They still had to go and work in the temple or the tabernacle and do all these things that were appropriate for the worship to occur. So so even Jesus himself, what did he do on Sabbath? He he managed to some kind of work, and that's why the Pharisees tried to trap him. His work was healing. His work was things that met the needs of the people, but it was always some level of work. So Sabbath was not about just being work-free. Sabbath is about something different that's about the rest that we find in the salvation that's provided to us through Christ. And so I I think this is a, a, a line that we need to make sure that we connect. Sabbath rest for us is found because Jesus did the work that was required for our salvation. His work for our salvation alone is what gives us the ability to truly find rest. Does that make sense? So y'all with me this morning. That's that's just kind of a, a quick recap. Now we're gonna we're about to move into Psalm 92. And one of the interesting things, if you look really quick at the title of this psalm, I think it's interesting, and I want to give you a couple of uh, little points about this. It says that this is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. So it's very likely that this psalm was sung in the temp- or in the synagogues, uh, possibly even in the temple, every Sabbath, that they came in and they would worship to this song. And, and it's meant to be a song. And so, in this, it talk, uh, the writer talks about the instruments that were going to be played, and so we're going to look at that in a minute. I um, ha, has anybody ever uh, accessed uh, S- Charles Spurgeon's The Treasury of David? Know what it is? Okay, Gina. Any anybody else? Nobody else. Okay, let me encourage you. Okay, because you can get this uh, access to this online for free. It's a great, great resource. Uh, the Treasury of David by C.H. Spurgeon, it's, it's basically him taking a look at every one of the Psalms, and he exposits every verse, and then he does this really cool thing where he goes back, and in and, and his history from that time Uh, back in the the mid-1800s when he was writing this, he looks backwards and sees who has written some really great statements about different verses in the Psalms. So you get a little bit history and different perspective. So it's a great, great resource, especially if you ever decide to work through the psalms as maybe a devotion uh, time or just to do a a specific study. Here's what Spurgeon wrote about this. He He says, since a true Sabbath can only be found in God, it is wise to meditate upon him on the Sabbath day. I know that sounds simple, but, but I think as he reflects on this psalm and that title, it's important for us to recognize that the point of this psalm especially is for us to come back and meditate upon the Lord, and that is wise for us to do. It is, I, I hope that, if, especially if you were here last Sunday, that that word wise. Makes you kind of, oh yeah, that's what Matt was teaching about last week out of Proverbs 19. That it is good for us that we gain wisdom and discernment as we consider the ways of the Lord. That help us to grow towards our future as we walk in godliness. So wisdom is essential for us when we come together for Sabbath worship to meditate on and consider the things of the Lord. So let's do this. Let's let's read Psalm 92 now, and I'm going to come back and break down uh, several things in this uh, as we go through it, okay? So Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall, shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom my evil, uh, of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Wow, what a great psalm. It is chock full of things, and I wish that we had time to cover a a lot of things this this morning uh, about it, but we're going to cover just a few. So the first, I'm going to give us three things this morning, so I'm going to describe this. The first is this, the nature of proper worship. The the first thing we're going to look at is the nature of proper worship. The second is this, the nature of the Lord Himself. And then the third is the resulting blessing uh, for the people of God as they are made right through redemption, and that calls us back into this uh, magnification and glorification of the Lord. So you can just, if you're taking notes, you might uh, write those things out in a little bit of space. Again, it's the nature of proper worship, the nature of the Lord Himself, and the blessings for the people of God. So let's let's take a look at the nature of proper worship itself. I I think it's interesting that the psalmist writes this at the very beginning. He said, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Now, I I started thinking about this idea of goodness. When when we think about goodness, I I think we struggle with that concept in in our modern culture because a lot of times we we think about goodness and we say, there's not much good left in the world. And, And so for the psalmist to say it is good, we, we need to hang on that word for just a moment. So what does good describe? If it's good to give thanks to the Lord, and he goes on to sing praises to your name, O Most High. So it's, it's like this direction to say, hey, collectively we're coming together on the Sabbath and we want to sing praises to you. It is good to do that. What does goodness consist of? Well, I, I wrote down a couple things. It is first honest. If something is truly good, it is honest. It, it, it doesn't have any room or amplitude or allow for anything that is dishonest or something that is, is like gained wrongly, okay? So it's honest. It's also pleasant. It produces everything pleasant in life because if something is not good, what, what does it mean? Like, like my kids, uh, how, how many of y'all, Oliver, do you like sour stuff like sour candy? Yeah, I don't understand sour candy, especially the real sour stuff, that makes your jaw ache? Like, Christian loves that stuff. I, I just don't get it. That's not good to me. It's not pleasant to me. We're, we're, Oliver, you're, you're not going to have to have a conversation why you like sour candy, okay? Because uh, just it's, it, it, how does that please you, okay? I, even Shay and your mom's sitting there going, I don't know, okay? I don't know either. Can anybody really quickly explain to me why they like sour candy like that? okay. Oliver, you're in the, the, the small group, man. Nobody's backing you up. Sorry. Abigail, you are? Okay, Abigail's on your team, Oliver. Congratulations. Oh, there's a couple more students back there. It must be a young people thing. Okay, that's all I can figure out. You like it too? Linda, you're finally fessing up. So, <laughs> okay, you, can, you as an adult can explain this to me later. Okay, you love it. Okay, so to me though, and, and this is where goodness comes back in. The idea that it is pleasant, it's something that we want to go back to and enjoy again and again and again. And so when we think about especially the idea of worship, it is something that produces a pleasing response. Now, now I'm going to say this real quickly. It's not just in our lives, okay? Because worship is certainly for us in one sense to rightly align with the Lord, but, but right worship Get this, and this is this is mind-bending to me in some ways, it's also pleasing for the Lord. When worship is good, the Lord is honored and pleased, okay? And that's part of this, because He is the audience of worship. So, so it, it rightly honors Him, and He is pleased with that worship. So, also, what is goodness? It's full of integrity. It... it, it also, which which I think means this, it has to be about the truth. That's why what I appreciate about Josh doing it in worship this last month is so integral to, to what we're doing. Because if it's if if that worship contains some measure of error, it would be compromised. It would not be good. But because it is full of integrity, that the theology of it is good and sound, it it, it is pleasing. And it produces these kind of qualities. So that's part of why the nature of worship has to be full of integrity. It has to be full of truth for it to be good. It's also, get this, profitable. If something's good, we profit from that. If something's not good, what happens? It creates a decay in things where we have to go in and fix it and manage things. And that means it's not profitable because it creates a stir that we have to go back in and and recapture what was lost. So, so if, if it's good, according to the psalmist, to give thanks to the Lord, we need these qualities in place, and not just this, okay? Those, those are some of the aspects of the nature, but it's also good for everyone, and that's what I was meaning a minute ago when I said, it's not just good for us, it's also good for the Lord, because it is good for every party. Now, let me throw this out. Even for a lost person, someone who may be in our midst today... And I'm not being critical or, or con, con, uh, I'm not condemning, okay, or judgmental. I'll get there. Um, what I'm just saying is, even if you don't understand this, it should be profitable for everyone, for you, for, for us as believers, and profitable for the Lord. Because ultimately, when we give thanks that is good to the Lord, it is genuinely uh, of benefit for everyone. And that is even to the Lord, because and you say, well, how does worship benefit God? How can we add anything to God? We can't really add anything to Him, okay, because He's perfect in who He is. But we magnify His perfections. We we make them known, which is our call. And so that is pleasing to the Lord. And as we please the Lord, He gains joy in that. That that stretches my mind. That's very Edwardsian, Jonathan Edwards in, in concept, but it's still right and true. That we can come together and worship, giving thanks to the Lord for He is good and and all of the things at uh, recognizing who he is, we honor him, and and that blesses him. I, that stretches my mind again, but it's the truth. Now, I want to want to note a couple other things because if if we look at that nature of worship, and you might just write out in the margin as you're you're, you're taking notes, that to me those those elements of what it means to be good represent or remind us of our posture how we come rightly to God recognizing these things. Now, as we think about the nature of worship, that first aspect is our posture. The second is the object. Who is the object of our worship? Because if the nature of our worship focuses like by a right posture but not on the right object, we've missed it, okay? So, So, the right object of our worship is part of the nature. And So, look at what the psalmist says, he says to, in verse 2, to, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So when you think about that steadfast love, here's the, the Hebrew word for the, uh, that that we trans- translate steadfast love is the word chesed. Okay, y'all have heard me talk about that if you've been in our church for a while. That word chesed, great word to say because you get to like cough in the back of your mouth and really do Hebrew stuff, okay? It means this steadfast love, this everlasting love, but it has a lot of background meaning to it. And the background meaning is this. It it, it refers to the covenant relationship that occurs between the Lord and His people. It has to do with the the, um, king and His his servants. It's that kind of uh, vassal treatment. But here's the really important part of all that. It's, it's a love that ex- extended from the greater to the lesser, never back, okay? So when we think about the object of what, why we worship God and the giving nature that is expressed by Him through Christ, which again, Josh, we sang about all morning, thank you. Um, it is that his, through His love, He came to us. The cross was Him ministering to us. It's that steadfast love where we could offer nothing, but He gave it to us nonetheless. It's His work, not our own. You see why that steadfast love is essential? So if we worship Him because, well, we we think, oh, it's about our love for Him, we're directing this way. No, it's a response. It's about the response of His deep love for us that we could never earn, that we could never manufacture, that we could never deserve. But it's ours to experience nonetheless. And so we worship and celebrate that. If you want a, a, a journey on a great illustration of what that Hesed love is about, I would really encourage you to study Psalm 25. That word occurs, I think, some 10, 11 times in that Psalm. It's just so rich, uh, a beautiful passage that covers the, the everlasting or steadfast love of the Lord. It's, but it, we note this. It's not just about the the steadfast love. It's about, in the second part of this verse, the faithfulness of the Lord. That is, it says He is faithful by night. His steadfast love is in the morning and His faithfulness by night. I think it's interesting that the psalmist contrasts morning and night. And I want you to think about that just for a minute. When, When we think about night, and I talked about fears last week, Isn't it at night when we go to sleep and what have we just typically covered throughout the day? All of the hardships, all of the responsibilities. We get to the end of the day and what do we feel? Like the child, exhausted, dad, please will you carry me? Father, will you please give me rest? Will, will you take these things that I've dealt with all day that have exhausted me? And guess what? Some of them are going to be left over and I'm going to have to still deal with tomorrow, or the next day, or the next because they're lined up. But I, don't, I, I need your love in the morning and I need to know that you are faithful when I go to bed at night so that I can awake refreshed, ready to know that you will walk with me according to that everlasting love tomorrow see i I think it's very interesting that the psalmist gets that 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 he knows the struggles that we have the tension that we're in and he identifies these that the lord is the object who carries carries us every moment because of his nature and we need the lord's nature don't we again Think about what Josh shared out of Matthew 11. This is the yoke that Christ has has given us. It's an easy yoke. The burden is light because He wants us to come and learn from Him and enter into this relationship where we're active, but at the same time, we're resting with Him. Does that make sense? It's good news. So, um, I want us to to look at this last part of of what it means for us to engage in this, this nature of worship. So now I want us to turn our attention from the object to how we rightly engage. And I think this is kind of interesting and very, hopefully a little bit of fun here too. He says in verse 3, how do we do this? To the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work and at the works of your hands I sing for joy. It's, it's such an interesting phraseology that the psalmist comes in here and he says that we are to worship with instruments. Now, the, the ESV honestly doesn't translate this really, really well here. And, and most of the, the modern translations don't because the, the words are very uh, stilted is probably the, the best way to use um, or to describe it according to the, the Hebrew text. They're stilted. It's kind of like word, 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 without a lot of amplifying words, descriptive words to go between. And so, actually, the, the word uh, there that, that we kind of use, uh, tra- translate for the, the idea of the, the um, lute is actually the word 10, okay? It's just 10. So, it's like it doesn't say 10 strings. It doesn't say 10 keys. It doesn't say uh, 10 reeds, like I'm thinking of a harmonica. It doesn't say anything descriptive. It just says 10, so, so here's why I think that's interesting because as I was studying, I came across um, a statement by Eusebius. Now, if you don't know who Eusebius is, that's okay, just geek out with me in church history for just a minute, okay? Eusebius was a bishop in the fourth century, so in the, the early 300s, who uh, was also kind of allegorical in his interpretations, okay? So he, but he was also very sound in, in a lot of his other thinking. So early church father who came in and taught on this. And here's what Eusebius says. He says that the number 10 actually employs the, the five senses, which would be what? Y'all help me out, because I, I, I hate to remember these kind of things, because I always leave one out. So help me out. Five senses, what are they? Sight? S- say it really loud, Shay. Taste? What's it? Smell? Touch? Who said touch? Okay, thank you back there, Jesse. What's hearing? Okay, so we got all five. Way to go. So, but, but there's 10. So then he says this, the other five senses are the five senses of the soul. Now, now this is not biblical, but this is an interpretation, and I think there's some value to it, okay? So, so does anybody know what the five uh, senses are of the power of the soul? <laughs> I was like, I have no clue what Eusebius <laughs> means here. So I started doing some research, Okay? So, here's what those are. Common sense, which some of us don't have. Some of us have tons, right? I've got family that has no common sense. Mine's kind of between. I wish I had more at times, okay? Common sense is one. Imagination is another. We're we're created in the image of God, right? Do do you realize how great the imagination of God is? Have you ever been to an aquarium and seeing odd fish or jellyfish or other things that swim in the deep have you been to the heights of the mountains and seeing all of the beauty god is a god who imagines some wonderful things look at us we're very different right but but there's beauty in each one of us because we're created in the image of god yet distinct there's great imagination to the lord Think about laughter, think about humor, even sarcasm has its proper place. There's so many things about us. Look at all the things that we like to create in because of our imaginations, right? I think that's God-given, okay? So we have common sense, imagination, thoughts. What are thoughts? I think it's just the daily routine of things just how we continue to to walk through the day handling all the responsibilities, all the duties, all the things that come upon us, thoughts. oh, Oh, goodness, it might be things like dealing with numbers and math homework. It might be learning the English language, learning Latin, Abigail. It could be a lot of other things where God has blessed us with thoughts to engage in our day without just a mindlessness. But we're purposeful, we're intentional. Then there's this idea of deeper contemplation. I I like to stop and contemplate things. That's why when I ran across this statement by Eusebius, I'm like, okay, who's Eusebius? Go back, remember all these things. What does he mean by these five powers of the soul? I was like, that's that's foreign to me, but I'm going to learn it because it's contemplative. It helps me think about how God truly operates. And I think there's some good ideas here. So, so we have common sense, imagination, thoughts, contemplation, and then the last one, memory. Isn't that cool? Because I think it points back to the truth of the Scripture right there, because your words, I have what in my heart? Come on, thank you, hidden in my heart, that we might not sin. There's something about memorizing the Word of God that prevents us from falling into continual sin, but it helps to prevent that, to to convict us, to draw us back into right worship so that we glorify God. That's the power of the soul, right? Because where does that mind, yes, it occurs in the gray matter, but it's not just gray matter. It it pierces. It's like that where that brainless, the senses of our minds and the memory and the contemplation all come and take the Word of God to divide the bone and the marrow. And I know it's not a physical thing, but there's metaphors and imagery right there that we have to, to understand. And isn't that beautiful? So when we come together and worship, now I'm not saying you see, you see he's 100% right. I don't think this is biblical. I think this is extra biblical, but I think he's right in helping us understand this. Guys, folks, worship Is about us coming together and experiencing things sensory in sensory ways. You say, Well, how do I experience sensory things like taste and smell? Well, I think that's specifically through us taking communion together. That we smell the juice as we do that, we taste the bread, we taste the juice. Then when we worship, there's voices lifted, there's hearts lifted because we hear, because we're watching the words, our sight, because when we gather in a place like this, we're encouraged by the sight of other people, that we hug one another, there's touch, and all those things are incorporated. But it's not just the five, it's everything about how we think about the Lord. Now, let me, let me add this last thought, we're going to take a break real quick, so Rob, you can come on up and uh, go ahead and get ready. I, I think that if we look at the next part of this verse this makes sense to me. If Look at verse 5. It says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. I I think it's proper for us to consider these ten things and the, the engagement of those because the thoughts of the Lord are deep. Now I know we'll never be able to plumb the depths or measure those thoughts or capture every thought, but isn't it joyous? Isn't it Um, encouraging? Isn't it a pleasure? Isn't it good to try? Because as we contemplate who the Lord is, it becomes a good thing. We we are transformed only as we contemplate the things of God. If we don't engage in that, we miss out because that's how God has called us to do that. So, So that's the first part of the message this morning. Rob, where'd you go? There you are, you're hiding from me, come on up man. Boys and girls, Oliver, some of you young guys, y'all come on down here, Mr. Rob's gonna teach us for a couple minutes and you'll uh, take off out into the classroom.
1: Good morning everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, today we'll be learning about letting your light shine. So we have a memory verse today I want to start off with and that is Matthew 5:16. And it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, Matt was just talking about the five powers of the soul. And one of them was imagination. So I'm going to take this cap off and we're all going to put on our imagination caps. Are you ready? Now we all got to close our eyes. Let's all close our eyes. Okay, let's close our eyes. And picture yourself in the middle of the night in a really dark field. So there's no light anywhere. How are you going to see? You can't. Can you? It's all really dark. What do you need to see? A flashlight? Well, you need the sun too, yeah, <laughs> or a fire, all types of light, and that's what God's telling us that His light shines through us. so the verses that we're reading today is in Luke nine, and it talks about how Jesus sends his disciples off, and they're to be the light, and it says. And Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, nor bread, no money. And whatever house you enter to stay there. And from there you can depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them and they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere so what did Jesus send the 12 disciples or 12 apostles out to do to heal people and to preach to what to make light, yeah for them to be the light. Proclaiming the good news. And what does it mean to preach the kingdom of God? <laughs> to tell everybody about Jesus. Is that bad news or is that good news? That's good news. That's right. hmm. The best news in the universe. Now, did, what did Jesus tell the disciples to take on their journey? Nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. They took their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> they took their selves, and that's it. They took their imagination cap. <laughs> they took their names, and nothing else. Well, then who's going to provide for them? water forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, each apostle was going to be staying at a house in the towns that they go to and so that house would provide for them. Now, what did they what were they supposed to do if the people didn't welcome them? To shake the dust off their feet. Mhm. Oh, there's dust. Do you think the apostles followed Jesus' command to go preach the gospel? Oh, yes. They went from village to village, preaching the good news. Now, as followers of Jesus, should we obey his command and share the good news with others? We should. That's right. We should obey what he says. All right, so we're going to go over our memory verse again. I'm going to read it one time and then we can all say it together. It's Matthew 5:16. "In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." Matthew 5:16. All right. You ready? Matthew 5:16. In the same way, the same way let, your others, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, your good deeds and, glorify your and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. Matthew 5, 16. That's right. All right I'm going to pray and then we'll go to the class dear heavenly father we thank you for your word today and thank you that you are the one that provides the light for us to shine and uh, it's it's only provided by you and it's not something that we can just make up and uh god we pray that we would have the strength and courage to go out to share your good news to those around us and to be the light that you're calling us to be thank you father for all you've done it's in your name we pray amen
0: Thank you, Rob. Thank you, boys and girls. Y'all are good listeners today. And that's a great verse uh, for you guys to memorize, so I hope you'll work hard on that. Um, So let's take our Bibles and look at Psalm 92, verse 8. And as you're turning there, I want to just give you a quick, kind of quick understanding of of this verse and why we're going to hone in on it in particular I believe, and and I'm not the only one who would hold to this, but I think this is the central verse of this psalm. Now, you may say, well, that's interesting because it's the number eight that would have seven on each side of it. No, remember, verse numbers are not inspired. That's stuff that we came back in and put back in later so that we could just find things real quickly. But I think that there's an aspect in the actual structure that the psalmist wrote in uh, that, that amplifies this verse in a unique way, okay? So let's read this, and this is, uh, basing, this is this is the second part of our thought, if you will, the nature of God. When we think about worship and Sabbath collectively coming together to worship, who are we to worship? The object of our worship has to be the person of the right nature, okay? And so that's what this verse uh, uh, elevates. It says, but you... O oh, Lord, are on high forever. Now, if you notice, before we get into the meaning of this verse, if you notice, this stru- the structure of this verse is very simple. It's like one statement. Every other verse in the psalm has kind of a couplet to it, if you will. It has one thought with a parallel thought or some kind of contrasting thought, but this verse is just like one simple statement. And it's right there in the center, and that's why I do believe it is the, the summary of this. If we, and, and, the, and the significance of it is this. If we can't rightly come to the Lord and know who He is, then all worship is, is for naught. It doesn't do any good because we've missed the true object of worship. We've not understood His nature. And our tendency, and this is why I think this is so important, is because the, the true object of our worship is the one who is on high. No other can displace Him. No evil can subvert Him. No matter uh, or no amount of, of uh, self-centeredness can, can displace Him on His throne, even though that's our tendency. The, the thing that the Lord or the psalmist is saying here, and I think why the Holy Spirit inspired the, the psalmist to say this, is that we have to recognize that the Lord is the Most High One. And if we don't discover this, Rightly through worship, it leaves us falling short or in some kind of tension, and and we worship is ineffective because it goes back to those earlier principles about what it means to be good. So, if we don't understand this, we can't really be in the goodness of worship. The Lord is the Most High. Now, I, I, I'm a John Piper fan. Some of you guys know that. Um, I want to read a statement that he makes uh, in in relationship. He says. The um, the idea is for man's pleasure, uh, or for, for man's pleasure is in the glory of God. Okay, man's pleasure is ultimately found in God's glory. He continues, our quest is not merely joy. See, I think a lot of times we come to worship and we we think when we gather together we want to walk out of here and go, well that felt good, that was good for me, that was uh, I, I, that was changing to me. Yes, those things need to happen. But if we missed worship being about glorifying God, that being our primary quest as we gather together, we've missed worship, the best worship. So he continues, there is no way for a Christian to consciously manifest the infinite worth and beauty of God without delighting in Him. See, when we recognize that the Lord is the Most High, it, it mandates that we delight in Him. Because anything else that's our object of worship falls short, and we won't have genuine delight in it. Does that make sense? So so when we recognize that the psalmist is right, that that the the Lord is the one on, on most high, it helps us to recognize our delight is only in Him. Last statement by Piper, he says, it is better to say that we pursue our joy in God than to simply say that we pursue God. For one can pursue God in ways that do not honor Him. Think about that for a minute. There's ways that we can pursue God that don't honor Him? Yeah. There are. We, we can become very selfish. We can, we can approach wrong methods. We can compromise truth. There's so many avenues that we say we're pursuing, but we do it wrongly. And if you don't believe that... Take just a second to think through this that, that happened a couple years ago, really elevated um, in, in culture when um, there was a movement that, that was emphasizing because Islam holds to a monotheistic system, Allah is the only true God for them. We serve only one true God. They're saying, well, it's the same God. Th- there were people saying that. That's absolutely false because the descriptions of God from the Muslim perspective, is very distinct from the God of the Christian perspective. They're not the same God. They're very distinct. Yet, mankind is pursuing the wrong avenue, the wrong book to get them there. Oh, we, we list thousands of, of things like that. So, yes, the truth is we will, as, as humans, pursue wrong avenues, and we can't find a light in God like that. So we have to come back and do this rightly. He says, lastly, in this, the enjoyment of God and the glorification of God are one. Get that. Let me repeat it. The enjoyment of God and the glorification of God are one. I continue to go back to this phrase. It, it, was, it, it came into my life uh, really early when I became a believer. It's that first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? That's the answer. The, the question is, what is man's chief end? Okay? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Folks, if we're going to enjoy the Lord, we have to glorify Him rightly. And that's why, where I think the, the psalmist is so uh, right. And for us, we need to recognize the true nature of God and come to Him in proper worship. Our third point is this, how the blessings become ours. How the blessings become ours, because I I don't think that the psalmist just says, hey, this is just about the Lord. It's about when we rightly enjoy the Lord, our delight is in Him. That's where Piper, I think, is right. That's where Edwards is right. I think that these guys understand that when we're glorifying God properly, there's a result for us, and that is experiencing the blessings of God. Let's look at verses 10 through 14 real quickly. He says, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil. So, so you, you hear the blessings. That horn exalted like the wild ox, there, there's, there's no trimming, there's no management of it. That wild ox just to, gets to grow. There's no concern by the, the, the farmer, if you will, or the, the, um, the, the um, husbandry man that he has to shave that horn so he doesn't get goaded by that ox horn. It, it's just let go. It's his display of his glory. So he's blessed with that freedom. The oil pouring over. The, the person is fresh, it's good, it speaks to the blessing. Verse 11 My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, uh, my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. So it's a contrast there. He continues in verse 12 The righteous flourish like the palm tree. We were driving through South Carolina on vacation a couple weeks ago towards North Carolina, and I remember remarking to Katie, Hey, you can tell we're, we're getting close to the, the ocean because there are palm trees on the side of the road. And have you ever noticed? Palm trees grow pretty straight, right? I know they can have bins and stuff to them. I'm not being naive. But it's that they stand alone in the middle of arid places where nothing else grows, and they go straight, and and they're firm. No matter what comes through, no matter a hurricane, they still endure those things. That's the blessing of of the Lord. It's that illustration that we are made sure and right, strengthened because of honoring the Lord rightly. And he goes on, he says, uh, they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Uh, th- those are strong trees that grow in high altitudes. They stand out. It's the blessing of, of longevity and protection and security and identity. Verse 13, they're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of, the, of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. Brent and I were talking this morning about all the ailments that we get. Real quickly said, growing old is not for the faint, <laughs> Right? or the, and it's the truth, right? The older you get, the more you feel your knees hurt, your, your thumb hurt, or both. I'm picking on my wife. There's all sorts of things that happen, right? And yet, here's the, the beauty. We're not weakened by age when we, concern, when we consider our testimony for the Lord. When we walk rightly with the Lord, there is, listen, Still bearing fruit in old age, they're ever, ever. Wait, wait, hang on a second. I typically say don't generalize, but here's a generalization: ever, always, full of sap and green. Can I? I I'm, I'm getting old. I mean, I just turned 52. I know some of y'all are going, that ain't old, but I, I get it. Okay, but, but it's still old, right? Brad, you remember when you're 52, right? <laughs> I, I long to grow old and have joy in the Lord, wisdom, and influence that, that's not about the physical shell because that's really going to pass. As a matter of fact, listen to what 2 Corinthians 4.16 reads. As Paul writes this, he says, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are what? Being renewed day by day. See, that's what right worship produces. That's what a right relationship with the Lord produces, is inward renewing day by day that is sap, that is the green of life, that no matter how old we are, we are still growing in the Lord, and we are producing a fruit of righteousness that blesses those around us because we're right in a a vertical relationship with the Lord that happens through Proper worship because we're adoring the right God according to His nature. That we're coming in Sabbath rest depending upon a right relationship through Christ. So the, the, the psalmist finishes. He says, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. See, I think that idea of the unrighteousness comes back to this picture of Sabbath, to salvation. Because, folks, if we consider ourselves against the Most High, we recognize that we are sinners, that we're unrighteous. But we have this opportunity through Christ to yield to His work On our behalf, so that we would come to Him in salvation and then rightly be able to engage in worship that was broken because of the fall of Adam and Eve and because of our sin, because of our own personal sin. But we are, through Christ, able to rightly worship and experience the blessings because of this this relationship. So, in way of conclusion this morning, I want to ask a couple questions and then we're going to gather for and circle up in some prayer circles if you're comfortable with that. Okay, I want to ask this. How are you doing in gathering to worship with the saints? I've said this over and over, and I'm going to say it again. I believe that COVID-19 was a ploy by the enemy, not Biden or anybody else, not China. I'm talking about Satan to disrupt what it means to rightly gather in worship. I, I, I don't believe for a second we're designed to be as isolated as we've become, especially for the length of time that we became we, we isolated. You can look around our church today and see the impact on our church. I know folks are on vacation, but we've been impacted because of isolation, because people have been slow to come back they're scared to come back. I understand those things. But our God is not a God of fear. He's a God who gives us sound minds where we come back and we reason through these things together. So I want to encourage you with this and ask this. How are you gathering? How are you ministering to those who have not gathered back yet? See, that's, that's one of those things that we need to do. We need to do it ourselves, and then we need to reach out encourage others who are not engaging to begin to come back and to make plans to do that because there's right means and measures to do that. We know that. We've learned enough to do those things well. It's time for the church to, to begin to have a resurgence about these things. That's one thing. Second thing, how are you doing in considering or contemplating the depths of the God Most High? See, for me, I I get a little bit of a luxury. It's kind of my job description. And thank you. (laughs) I I, I get to study. I'm required to study, but I get to study. You can tell. I love to study the Word of God. I love to think about the things of God. I love to, to know His person deeper every day. But that's not the pastor's responsibility only. That's not the call of the pastor only. That is the call of every one of us as followers of Christ, that we would contemplate the things of the Lord deep, deeply. We're not going to ever plumb them, but how are you doing every day? Are you growing in discipline and intimacy, especially of your knowledge and your love and your delight in God most high? That's, that's the, the central part of this message. So I hope that if you're not doing well in that, that today... You'll just do this in the prayer time in just a moment. You'll reach out to the Lord in prayer. And you'll say, Lord, that was convicting to me. I just want to respond with an honest commitment to follow you more intimately in my time of worship and contemplation of who you are. Because I want to more richly delight in you. It's a simple prayer. And just follow through on it. Lastly, are you able to rejoice in your salvation? Finding joy in the work that Christ gives you. I'm sorry, the work that Christ uh, gives you, uh, uh, which He gives you rest. Let me me get back to that. Let me restate it. Sorry, I'm getting a little tired. My mind's going about a thousand directions. Are you rejoicing and finding great joy in the work of Christ, which provides rest for you? Okay? Because if you might say, what does that really mean? I can boil it down in real simple terms. If you're not a believer born again, you can't rest. You can't find joy because you're depending on your own work or the works of someone other than you, but not depending on Christ. Christ, through His work on the cross and His resurrection, has provided rest. Will you put your faith and trust in His work for you? that's what I'm going after. I hope that's clear. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us a couple minutes to pray, okay? And here's how we're going to do that. I want you just to respond to those couple key questions. I'm going to trust this. I know I rattled some things off, but I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will remind you of those things. So we're going to pray just where we are for our own individual response. And I'm going to give you just one minute. I'm going to watch the clock, and I'm just going to give you one minute for that. After that, what I'm going to do is give a couple of instructions, and we're going to enter in this, just that short kind of concert of prayer like we did last week, and I'm going to get you in some small groups and just ask you to pray over a couple things in church life right now. So I know we have some guests with us today, and I want to say thank you for being here. If you're not comfortable praying, what I'd encourage you to do is just maybe stay in your own group right there. and just just listen to what's happening, what we're doing, and kind of get the, the tenor and flavor of our church. That way we can get through with the service and make sure that we get to connect with you a little bit ba- better after the service today. Um, and that's just our request. If that's not what you want to do and you just say, hey, we're, we're good for the morning, uh, you feel free to just get up during that time, okay? And, and we'll look forward to catching up with you later. So let's bow together in prayer and respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, This is my prayer for us, that that we would just hear your word, that your spirit who takes the word of truth and ministers it into the depths of our souls would do that right now and we would respond in obedience to how you've called us. And Lord, it may be something totally different than what I've mentioned this morning. That is great. You're sovereign. I don't even want to play that part or or think that I can uh, discern any of that uh, well this morning. You have your freedom and your way. So Father, we're going to take one minute... And we're going to respond rightly to you in terms of our commitment to obedience, to being people who worship right together in what is true Sabbath worship.